This podcast may contain disturbing content for some listeners. It's intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. doing the um, the cases about fugitives and I, I remember uh, Shantae Henderson do you remember her? Do you remember that case? I don't think so it doesn't pop to mind Okay so this um, she had like a couple of aliases. Uh, she went by Rashida Smith and Rashida Washington uh, the way her story goes down is um, she grew up in Kansas City, Missouri. And she actually grew up in Charlie Parker Square, which is like a housing project there. She became a suspect in a lot of murders really quick. And she kind of looks mean, like even in the pictures that were like non uh, mugshots. She looked, she looked kind of mean. But where she was running around with guns, basically on um, on September 2nd of 2006, she shot and killed a man named uh, DeAndre Parker at a gas station in Kansas City. Her claim was that Parker was trying to run him, run her over with his truck. And a judge, like in a bench trial, kicks the murder charges but found her guilty of voluntary manslaughter and armed criminal action. That was really strange to me that, like, he kicks a murder charge, but still finds her like guilty of uh, manslaughter. And then also says that like, she wasn't supposed to be using the gun the way that she was. So uh, the Kansas city police department, they have Henderson on their radar for years as a leader of what was known as the 12th street gang. The gangs there, according to the police are sort of, marked out by uh, the streets. So she, they were affiliated with different gangs that ran the territories between 24th Street and 27th Street, and then this other section at 51st and 57th Street. They called them the 512s. And I, I've heard it said 5A stews. Now, even though they claim that, she at trial says she, she and her lawyers say that she has nothing to do with it. 
she had a really interesting uh, way of getting on the most wanted. The top, she was on the top ten most wanted fugitives list, but she's only on there for twenty four hours. So she's another, she was wanted for murder. She was actually apprehended on uh, March thirty first, two thousand seven, and she literally got on the list after midnight on March thirty first, two thousand seven. Um, they had put a, a reward out there for uh, $100,000 for information leading to her arrest. Then this is where she ends up having a bench trial. And the judge gave her essentially parole from the bench trial with time served and a 10-year suspended sentence. Okay, uh, I just want to point out that an FBI's top 10 most wanted fugitive, even though she was only on the list for less than 24 hours, then got a 10-year suspended sentence, which means she didn't go to jail. Yep. Uh, so those two things are diametrically opposed to one another. I don't <sighs> see how a top 10 most wanted fugitive could then get a suspended sentence. There's well, a problem. Well, I had gone on, uh, at one point I had gone on and like read her own words about what happened. If I were given that gift, I think I would... Like, change your life. Yeah, yeah. Like, if I knew, I like, because she had been accused in as many as five other murders, but never, like, it never came up. That they, they were mainly like drive-by type murders. Um, there were a number of shootings and assaults, but no other charges have ever been filed related to what the Kansas City Police say she's done. But here's what was crazy. So she she basically she gets on the stand at her trial. She claims self defense. She tells a really compelling story. Now, the judge lets her off with this gift, and five months later, while she's out on parole, she's pulled over, and she is caught with narcotics and an illegal firearm, uh, which she then ends up. Uh, tacking on to her sentence. So what they do with her is in May 2012, so five years later, she gets sentenced to serve that 10 years for the manslaughter conviction. She's finally violated, even though she had been, you know, with probation and parole. So that sentence of 10 years was set to run consecutively or boxcard with a seven-year federal sentence for the charge of being a felon in possession of a weapon. So this was going to be like a 17-year sentence. Um, that's because in October of 2011, she pled out the, the the federal charge of being a felon in possession of a firearm. And then she went to the Federal uh, Correctional Institute at Waseca in Minnesota. I think she's actually already out. I think she is now like, like no longer uh, an inmate. So that's the part, that's how she comes up here. So Shantae is literally on the list for 24 hours or less, gets out with his gift. And this is the top 10 most wanted fugitive by the FBI. Uh, but she is officially released, uh, even though she's got like a this long sentence, she's officially released on March the 17th of 2017. She still had some of her other sentence to run, but she's not in prison anymore. 
Well, I think that it's it said something that she had a fugitive warrant for murder, and she got a which I mean it's not nothing to have be on parole for ten years, right? It, that's what she because basically the sentence was suspended. Uh, that means you don't go to jail; you just have the possibility of going to jail if you mess up again. Yeah. She, then she gets pulled over, gets caught with a, a firearm and drugs, and she gets time for it. <laughs> I mean, she didn't get time for murder, but she got time for the the gun and the drugs. Right. It okay. doesn't make sense. Well, and you know, I've read through the court records on here. I'm always curious when I when I see you know this kind of I, I would call it a discrepancy. Like that's the nicest way I can think of to describe this. Like it's a discrepancy uh, because in court, uh, DeAndre Parker's girlfriend, who was there at the time of his shooting, said that uh, Shante walked up to him unprovoked. And just shot him. But that's not the story she told when she got on the stand. And I did, you know, I, I went through, I was actually trying to figure out uh, if she had done something since then. But she doesn't, she's pretty like off the radar. And I think that's definitely what I would be doing if I were her. Uh, at this point in time, I would be way off the radar because she shows up in these because of the appearance on the most wanted list. She shows up in like these little most evil. I don't know what you would call them. They're almost listicles, but they're television documentaries, you know, uh, the most evil gangster women and things like that. I don't, I don't necessarily think that's accurate, but I know what you're talking about. I I'm just, in all, <laughs> I'm in all of that whole situation. I do think it's because she had a bench trial, not a jury trial. Right. Um, I think, uh, you know, she must have had a sympathetic judge. She must have really, you know, done some convincing. Obviously, all that unraveled, right? She yeah. ended up not, uh, because once you violate your parole, you have to serve your suspended sentence, which you were talking about. Plus, she got seven more years, so... You know, she was set to be in prison for even longer, but I'm sure because of, you know, good behavior, overcrowding, whatever the reason is, she got out like 10 years before her set date to get out would be, right? Yeah, I think she, so I think she might still be serving some of the manslaughter time. Um, When I went and looked her up, it looked like she's like actively in uh, Missouri prison. I don't know if that's still the case. I had a little bit of a hard time telling what they were doing there. Uh, like, like it's hard to sort of, it doesn't say active or inactive or anything like that, where most Department of Corrections, you can sort of see the, I don't know what you would call it, but the status or the custody classification even, like minimum, medium, maximum. She, I can't see any of that on her case. I can just see that they have a location for her. So I assume she's still there. I did find um, some of her trial footage. Have you ever seen it? No. No, I haven't seen it. I I may throw like a little news clip in here somewhere of her talking about it. It it is, it's highly interesting. Um, I did read that. uh, So 
So after she was released from federal prison, she was sent to the Women's Eastern Reception Diagnostic and Correctional Center. That's in Missouri, right? Uh, It's in, uh, yeah, it's in Missouri. So she must have just served. So, okay, the FBI's warrant is what she got out on. Yeah, so she basically, she serves her time for being a felon in possession of a firearm, but she's consecutively now serving that manslaughter sentence and possibly some of the drug charges. Well, that actually is better. I, I, I don't necessarily feel like, I mean, the judge must have just really bought her self-defense in the murder charge. Uh, But in the event that it, you know, really was self-defense, I don't understand how she was one of the top 10 most wanted fugitives, even briefly with a hundred thousand dollar reward. seems like there's some things lost in communication there. Maybe. Well, yeah, I mean, there's definitely something lost in the, in that mix. This comes up because, you know, I, I, I looked her up to kind of see where she was as far as her status after, and, you know, we're past it now, but like, did you see the, the new Unsolved Mysteries? Like they, they released new Unsolved Mysteries this fall? No, I... On like Netflix. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, you should, man, you, after the very first one, I just gave up the first season. Ah, uh, well, I so I I had a little trouble following it. It wasn't, it hasn't been what I was expecting. Um, but I still I've enjoyed it to some degree. But they had a couple of different fugitives on there this time, and so I'm using Shantae as the lead-in to. A, a different fugitive and I'm sort of comparing and contrasting here. Now this one, she's still a fugitive. She is on the U S Marshall's most wanted list, which we haven't talked a lot about that. Um, here. Is she on unsolved mysteries? Yeah. Yeah. She, she popped up on unsolved. Why mysteries. didn't you tell me that dude? I kind of watched it. I, well, I have not watched her episode yet. I'm going to, it. I saved it. I saved unsolved mysteries up for being, like holiday time, but I did look at like the episode descriptions and this one is on there. So I was like, Oh, well we'll take a look at her. And I, I don't have like a way to explain this, the discrepancies here. Now, uh, this is a, this is for murder. This is a woman named Tamara Renee Williams. Now, if you go to crime stoppers of Michigan, which I think is still at one 800 speakuporg you can go on, you can read like very little about her, but this is what the marshals say about her in uh, their, uh, what do you call this? The flyer wanted Tamara Renee Williams, 39. Uh, she's wanted for the murder by the Melvindale police department and the U S marshals service, Detroit fugitive apprehension team DFAT for mutilation, dead bodies, disinterment, tampering with evidence and a felony firearm in the murder of her boyfriend, David Carter, 39. Tamara has worked in the medical field and as a travel agent. She also has close involvement with the Order of the Eastern Stars and is considered armed and dangerous. So I'm just curious, without looking or digging real deep on this, what do you think... The Order of the Eastern Stars is. What do you think her the, the cash reward should be for her? Uh... Not much. 
Well, it was a hundred thousand dollars for Shantae Henderson shooting a guy at a gas station. Right. Um, and so she killed her boyfriend. Is that what's happening there? Yeah, yeah. She killed her boyfriend. Allegedly. Okay, so I'm gonna go with like probably a thousand or five thousand dollars. It's a thousand dollars. Yeah, so, so that's probably put up by like the family or something. Well, so uh David D. Carter Sr. of Melvindale, he was found dead on October 1st of 2019. Um, his body, parts of his body, uh, had been stuffed into a sleeping bag, and it was spotted by the Ohio State Highway Patrol along I-75. 39-year-old Carter had been missing since September 30th, 2018, when he didn't show up for work. Okay, so I'm, I'm telling you what I just heard on this. He was found dead on October 1st, 2019. His body was found a year after he had been missing, September 30th, 2018. I'm not 100% sure that's correct, but that is what I am am getting from the different sources I'm pulling from here. A lot of the Detroit news and uh, radio stations carry different – like if you Google uh, David D. Carter, Melvindale – that's this is all the things that'll come up. Williams had not been seen or heard from since mid October 2018. He's been missing since September 30th, and Williams has not been seen or heard from since mid October 2018. And they find his body in 2019. What was so fascinating was some of the pictures they have of her. So, first of all, she's got a really interesting tattoo, it's like a bunch of uh, roses on a sleeve on her shoulder. But some of the pictures they have of her, it's her dressed as a man. This is what they say um, on one of, this is WWJ 950 News Radio's website. Williams is described as a 39-year-old black female, 5 foot 5 inches tall, weighing approximately 190 pounds with uh, brown hair and brown eyes. It's important to note she has possibly changed her hairstyle and color. They throw some pictures in here. Says she's considered armed and dangerous. Now, Crime Stopper says that Carter was a father who worked tirelessly to ensure the success of his son and that of countless others as a beloved volunteer with the Melvindale Junior Football League. He was also an entrepreneur behind Lavish Habits Clothing and worked full-time at the Magna Seating Plant in Highland Park. Most of what I see here like points me to Crime Stoppers or to like a DOJ email. It's interesting. Like Her case is interesting. Immediately looking at it, I go, why did they think she did it and not that she was probably also a victim? Well, because she is around. So I do think um, I do think there was a mistake on the dates. I think that um, he didn't show up for work on September 30th, 2018, and I think he was found October 1st, 2018. So I don't think there was very much time. Okay, so it wasn't – okay. And then, so she was around, but then, like, when he was identified, uh, you know, going on in towards October, because uh, he was immediately reported missing when he didn't show up for work. Got it. Um, okay. By his family. And she was his girlfriend of six months. And suddenly, uh, when it was announced that he had been recovered, she disappeared. So she was around for a little while. Okay. And so they, so they, that's, that's how I deduce that they don't think she's a victim, too. Okay. Well, that I mean, then that makes sense. They they basically they have her then, or they have seen her. I think they actually need to be looking for uh, 
the new David Carter. <laughs> That's interesting. Well, you think she could have potentially you stolen think- his ID? His identity, yeah. Well, I mean, you're saying that uh, she was sometimes dressed as a man. I would say that would be a pretty good way of getting out of being considered to be a female fugitive. Well, I mean, I do see here where uh, police spoke with her after Carter disappeared and they released her from custody. And then his remains were sort of found spread out across I-75. And at one point, the reward was $5,000. And then it dropped as low as $1,000. You know, they're definitely looking for her. Uh, So I, you know, I went digging into her case just to kind of see what had been talked about. Uh, This was interesting to me. And I don't know. I think you may have seen this. So one of the first things I see uh, when I go looking for Tamara Williams is that this... September 2021 case of it, it literally says ex Detroit firefighter charged in $200,000 embezzlement. Have you seen this? No. Okay. So here's what it says. Uh, it's been three years since police have been in contact with Tamara, Tammy Williams, the woman wanted for murdering and dismembering her boyfriend. But now the reward has been increased and police think family members have helped her run. Williams, now 41, has been on the run since October of 2018. So this is confirming your dates. Uh, He was found in 2018, and he was missing in 2018. 2019 does not come into play. It was just a very short amount of time. Yeah, she's accused of dismembering David Carter. His lower half was found in a sleeping bag off of I-75 in Ohio, while his other body parts were littered along the highway. Supervisory Deputy U.S. Marshal Aaron Garcia said it's been almost three years since Carter was murdered and they're still searching, but they won't stop. We're going to find you. We've been investigating this case for three years. We've had very little cooperation at this point, uh, Carter said, speaking through the camera. Garcia said that people close to Williams have not helped them, but maybe supporting her financially. Uh, people know where she's at. They know her location. They know how to get in touch with her. They haven't come forward yet. Well, so then, he's, then it goes on to say that William's mother was identified Wednesday night as Verdine Day, who is the former treasurer of the Detroit Firefighters Association, the DFFA, who was indicted earlier this week, and this is uh, in September of 2021, for embezzling over $200,000 to fund lavish vacations and cruises. With Day being charged. Go ahead. When did that happen? That was September of 2021. Okay, go ahead. So at this time, uh, Garcia says, with Day being charged, Williams is now a top suspect for the U.S. Marshals, and they doubled the reward from $5,000 for information uh, up to $10,000 at one point. She's one of our top priorities in the country, uh, so we've upped the reward to $10,000 for any information leading to her arrest. Williams was interviewed by Melvindale Police, Shortly after Carter's remains were found, but she was released pending further investigation. And she's been on the run in at least three states since then. So that goes with what you were saying. Garcia said they want to track her down as soon as possible and help the Carter family find some some bit of closure. Uh, This is a horrendous crime. It's a horrible crime. David Carter and his family deserve justice and closure to move on with their lives. And at this point, they can't, said Garcia. The U.S. Attorney's Office didn't comment if Day helped her daughter stay in hiding. 
I was going to say, it seems like they could use that as some leverage right there. Well, I mean, yeah, I, you know, that to me uh, is sort of the ultimate way to, to deal with it all. Now that, that all happens really quickly. And, and that's the thread I was able to chase in this case. Cause you and I like look at these and we're like, well, all right, well, what can we do? I can't find Tamara Williams. I, I've looked for like what would have happened there. My conclusion is basically what these guys are saying. The family was helping her. I think he, uh, it should be explored to see if there's a new David Carter. That's interesting that you say it that way. I mean, I definitely think that's a, I, I hope that they're already on to that. You know what I mean? Well, they should be, but I don't know. I, I didn't see where sh she was looking like a guy, right? I, I, only I, saw, I only saw one picture that looked that way and it was in a, a, an obscure source, but it was a, it was a good source. Well, I mean, it's not a bad uh, plan for a fugitive. Um, I don't think so. I do think the reward is, I think it was raised because she probably has quite a bit of that embezzled money <laughs> um, and they want it back, right? Um, that's what that's, I'm thinking. <laughs> uh, because her mom is like in trouble for a financial crime, I do think they should use, uh, you know, a reduced uh, punishment as leverage to get her location. But since that's like a whole year out, I, I don't know that that's going to happen, but she had a very, a very small reward. It's kind of, she is with, um, listed as wanted by the U S marshals. And I, I do feel like uh, this is going to be a situation that's, domestic for some reason, right? I don't know what I, led to his death or whatever. I have not found a lot of details about David Carter's actual murder. He was at least cut in half though. Yeah, he was, He was, so he was found in, I think it's five pieces. So I think, I think the way that he, cause there's like a highway crew that comes along and finds parts of them. The, the highway patrol found part of them. He's found like, you know, like he's being discarded. And I assume that the cause of death made it, you know, clearly a homicide. Well, what was the cause of death? I have not seen it. I'm just saying. Oh, because it would be something if he overdosed and she disposed. I don't think that's what happened. But, um, you know, uh, she had to have shot him. I, well, I so I pulled up a bunch of articles from like late 2021. Here's like one of the things that was said by ClickOnDetroit.com. Uh, the headline of this article is "U.S. Marshals Want to Help Won't Help Finding Woman Accused of Brutal Mutilation and Murder of Melvindale Man." And it says uh, the the location is Melvindale, Michigan. The marshals have increased the reward for information leading to the capture of a woman they suspect in the 2018 murder of a Melvindale father. When David Carter didn't show up for work, his sister said she had a bad feeling. She had a bad feeling. Something in my gut was just like, something's not right, said Tasha Carter Jackson. Something was wrong. She went to her brother's apartment and noticed that Carter's front door was unlocked. His bed was messy. And she said Carter always made his bed before leaving. The mattress and carpet both had several red stains on them. I said, what's this red stain? What's that? I didn't, I never put the covers back. I didn't touch anything, Carter Jackson said. 
At that point, my dad said, don't touch anything. Carter's family reported him as missing shortly after his remains were found spread out across I-75 in Ohio. The last person to see Carter was his girlfriend of six months, Tamara Williams. Melvindale police spoke with Williams after Carter disappeared and they released her from custody. Officials said that's when Williams, when she was released, she went on the run. She's believed to have then traveled to New York. The last official sighting of her was in New York in 2018, but there's been a nationwide manhunt for her ever since. She changes her looks a lot. We know she might have a wig and she fluctuates her hair, the color, the styles. As far as identification, it's going to be, it has been pretty hard, said Deputy U.S. Marshal Aaron Garcia. Um, they believe that Williams is dangerous. Carter's family, including his 19-year-old son, is still grieving. It's been a nightmare for our family. We still haven't processed it, Carter Jackson said. We were never able to see my brother in the casket. We were never able to touch him or anything like that. Uh, we just literally have absolutely nothing. And then, you know, when I went on the Marshall's page that linked from that 2021 article, it did not take me to Tamara Williams' page. So just throwing that out there. Um, and at first, what does that mean? Like when I click on the link, like she's not on the Marshall's page anymore. So I thought maybe she had been found. When did uh, Unsolved Mysteries come out? Let's fall of 2022. I wonder if they just took it down because she has been caught. Well, I mean, I guess she could have. The, the, uh, there's a flyer still out indicating she's still wanted. Like, I can go to that page, but I have to go to the U.S. Link. Yeah, I have to go to the U.S. Marshals page, and I have to hunt around. I that haven't, would be awesome if they found her, though. Yeah, so she's featured, you know, at some point she was featured on that John Walsh show, In Pursuit. And she's been featured on, um, I think, on the new America's Most Wanted, she might have been featured. Uh, she's definitely on the unsolved mystery shows that came out on Netflix this fall. Here's like where things get crazy for me. All right. So this woman is missing for allegedly dismembering her boyfriend. Mm -hmm. So her mom gets in trouble in 2021. So if you follow this along, DetroitNews.com had a Robert Snell story from December of 2021 that's three months after her mom is arrested. This story says a Detroit Fire Department union official accused of embezzling more than $220,000 and spending the money on international cruises, flights, furniture, and other luxuries pleaded guilty to bank fraud Thursday in federal court. The plea from retired Detroit Firefighters Association treasurer, Vernine Day, who was 62, of East Point, in front of U.S. District Judge George Karam C. came two months after she was charged with the 30-year felony and accused of orchestrating a years-long crime spree. Day was charged amid a, a broader crackdown on public corruption in Detroit that has embroiled multiple police personnel and almost half of the elected city council. So... Uh, day is scheduled to be sentenced on March 24th. Of course, that's 2021, so that's where I'm going next. But they say she was just secretly helping herself to the union money. The alleged fraud involving Day dates to approximately 
uh, early 2015 and lasted until she retired in September of 2019. It was discovered the next year in 2020 when the union hired an outside firm to analyze the association's finances. That audit led to a federal investigation that concluded that Day had been issuing checks to herself in her name, and she had been changing the purpose of the expense in an attempt to hide the fraud. This is according to an FBI affidavit unsealed in December of 2021. So she also allegedly wrote checks made payable to cash. The failed cover-up, according to the affidavit, included claiming that the union had been donating money to area charities, including the Detroit branch of the NAACP, the Detroit Children's Hospital, and the Special Olympics. During her four-year tenure, Day obtained approximately $167,900 and spent the money while circling the globe. So she spent $25,821 on cruises and almost $3,000 on airfare to Las Vegas, Atlanta, and Fort Myers, Florida. She also additionally made $52,144 in unauthorized purchases using union credit cards and spent money renting hotels in Tijuana, Mexico, the Bronx, Hollywood, Florida, and in Amsterdam. Um, And then for some reason, they single out this one Bubba Gump shrimp company restaurant uh, purchase for $106 in Cozumel. So, all right, so that's a piece of this. Do you think that had anything to do with her daughter running? Well, now now that you've said all that, no. She was, like, up to her ears in it by the time her daughter uh, committed this murder and left. Dude, she ends up taking down city council people in the middle of all this. Well, of course. I mean, <laughs> uh, that, you know, misery loves company. I, 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 I look at stuff like this. There's got to be a lot of people not paying attention for this to occur. I just want to be real upfront about that. Um, I know everybody's not great with numbers. I'm certainly not great with math numbers, but like uh, somebody should have noticed, especially like, well, I don't know what their budget is actually, but when you work, this was, what was it again? The fireman's fund? This is the fireman's association. Like it's part of the, the Detroit fireman's union. Okay, and so I don't know. Is that a not for profit? Uh, it's it's like a support association. Yes, a not for profit for the like. It's essentially part of the union, but it's a support association okay. for the Detroit Firefighters Union. Okay, but and it is a not for profit. The reason I'm 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 emphasizing that is because like a not for profit. Uh, there should be multiple people uh, on a board because, you know, not-for-profits don't ha- pay taxes, right? Right. Um, and you get other sort of, it's sort of incentivized that you're not working for profit. And so one of the stipulations to that, which is like always overlooked is, you know, there's got to be a board and the board should at all times know where all the money is. Right. (laughs) And so, you know, unless they're dealing with like millions upon millions of dollars, like this should have been noticed immediately. Right. Well, the, the description of what they are, it says that they're chartered with the international association of firefighters 
you know, for many, many years, it goes all the way back to May of 1933. Um, they have the burn fund. Uh, they have a bunch of, it looks like it's a bunch of different uh, sort of associations under the same header, basically. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's incorporated as of 1933. This is what it says. And then I'll let you tell me what you think it is. The Detroit Firefighters Association was chartered on May 8, 1933. Since that time, continuing today, our main mission is to gain fair, equitable, and just treatment of our members in all aspects of their employment, secure just compensation, assure equitable settlement of all grievances, and promote safety as our number one issue. The DFFA has a long and storied reputation that has taken itself through the courts, Act 312 arbitration and individual arbitrations, to right injustices to our members and gain the same rights as others in our tradecraft. We have faced repeated challenges on many of our most important issues and prevailed. We are a family and act as such. We have many clubs, such as the Clown Team, the Phoenix, the Gaelic Fire Brigade, the Band, Honor Guard, and others that serve the membership in the community we serve and protect. Our department is an athletic one and carries competitive teams in every sport. These groups raise many dollars that go directly to charities. The DFA Burn Fund works all year to provide transportation for burn-injured children to camp and to help the supporting hospitals possess the latest in equipment to cure in a less painful atmosphere. I said earlier, the Detroit Firefighters Association is number one goal is safety for ourselves and the community we serve. We envision a better fire department in the city of Detroit through our never-ending and aggressive approach. Each and every member of the association lives and breathes the ideals of being the best they can be and continues to educate themselves in the newest technologies and education in order to be and remain one of the best and most aggressive fire departments in the world. So this is their union association. This is who organizes for them. Um, and it looks like it looks like the, the retirees of the police and fire system in Detroit, as well as the general retirement system for EMS and communications, appears to have, like, th- that's what this money is. This money is, like, for people who are retiring as emergency personnel in Detroit, Michigan. I don't know how much money she had access to, but she certainly ran off with quite a bit of it. So here's the last article I have about mom. So this is Tammy Williams' mother, Verdine Day. And this comes from May 24th, 2022. Um, a Detroit Fire Department, and this is the Detroit News. Again, it's also Robert Snell. A Detroit Fire Department union official who stole more than $200,000 from members and spent the money on trips around the world, hotels, flights, booze, and Caribbean cruises was sentenced to federal prison Tuesday. Now, how much time do you think she got for all that? Uh, probably not much. It's a financial crime. One year. Yep. The sentence is half of what prosecutors wanted retired Detroit Firefighters Association Treasurer Verdine Day to serve for orchestrating a scheme from 2015 to 2019 that also involved stealing money that was supposed to be donated to the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP. Day is the latest local official convicted in a more than a decade-long crackdown on public uh, corruption in Metro Detroit. 
Ongoing investigations and prosecutions have led to charges against more than 110 people, including former United Auto Workers presidents Gary Jones and Dennis Williams. U.S. District Court Judge George Karam Stee also ordered Day to pay more than $220,000 in restitution to the union based on her conviction for bank fraud. Day's embezzlement was particularly egregious because she stole from the first responders in our community, said U.S. Attorney Don Ison in a statement. Day's lawyer, William Ford, pushed for leniency, calling the years-long scheme a mistake. He noted Day had taken responsibility and repaid $20,000. The scandal had sullied her distinguished career. Day was the department's first African-American female fire engine driver and was named Detroit Woman Firefighter of the Year in April of 2019. Day retired in 2019, and the theft was discovered the next year when the union hired an outside firm to analyze the association's finances. And then we've already talked about that. The, the, that led to a federal audit, and that's, that's what gets everything sort of kicked off here. So they really only wanted two years. So she got half of that, which was one year. And honestly, I mean, financial crimes deserve to be punished, but they're not the most important crimes, right? Right. Uh, Violent crimes are the most important crimes. Um, Financial crimes, you know, I just want to like scream at the top of my lungs, like do better, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Because I think um, at some point, you know, I was like, is it really the FBI that needs to be teaching people not to steal money or is it their mother? Right. Well, I mean, so, (laughs) so this case, uh, this case has like connections in the same time period, like shortly after she, and, and I'm talking about mom here, uh, shortly after firefighter day ends up being arrested, there's another city councilman, uh, named Andre Spivey. So he pleads out to, a charge of uh, bribery. So the article that pops up in the Detroit news basically said that Andre Spivey is, is he's expected to resign from office after pleading guilty to bribery. Now his setup pops up for the department of justice. He actually took a weird amount as far as the bribe goes. This is what they said. And this is from January 19th. It's a DOJ.gov. Um, press release. It says Detroit City Councilman Andre Spivey, 48, was sentenced to 24 months in prison for conspiring with a member of his staff to commit bribery by accepting $35,000 in bribe payments in connection with the City Council's oversight of towing companies in Detroit. According to court records, while serving as an elected member of the Detroit City Council, Andre Spivey accepted $35,900 from an undercover federal law enforcement officer and a confidential source of information for the FBI. On eight separate occasions between February 2018 and February 2020, Spivey, Spivey or a member of his staff identified as public official A accepted bribe payments amounting to thousands of dollars from the undercover agent or the source. These are all in connection with towing issues that were pending before the city council. For example, October 26, 2018, Spivey met with the undercover agent at the South side, at the side street diner in Gross Point, Michigan. During that meeting, 
Spivey accepted $1,000 in cash from the agent and another $1,000 in cash from the source. The payments were made to Spivey seeking assistance with the proposed towing ordinance pending before the city council. They bought his vote. Yeah, they bought his vote. And then on February 21st, 2020, same setup, but it's $12,000 this time for a different issue. So I've always wondered this, and I know this is like we're doing fugitive episodes, but I brought all of this up on the side of this fugitive because I wanted to ask you something. So when city council people, like, so I have someone in my family that like deals with this type of situation all the time. Um, and they are very, like each year, um, they do they do like continuing education about this. But one of the things that always comes up in the continuing education is ethics, specifically that you can't do any of these things. Like even on a small level, you can't do. This is a pretty big level for it to be a forty thousand dollar set of bribes. I've always wondered, like, if they do that and they pass these ordinances or policies depending on where you're at in the jurisdiction do you think they reverse it after a conviction like this no they don't they don't even look at it and nothing really happens well because that's part of see part of the thing is like he had a vote to be bought right the thing is you want somebody that has a vote to not sell it the vote so isn't weird. the vote isn't undermined because he was paid for it. I mean, it is, but it's not really because he still casts his vote. Now, you, it's corruption, right? Yeah, obviously, and you know, it's impossible to have people in place that you know aren't going to be open to corruption. I I think that a lot of times it's the unopinionated. It's people that don't have opinions on issues that are willing to be bought. Yeah. Like, you may not have realized what he was getting himself into. And the smoozing involved in, you know, he may not have real. I mean, I, I mean, I, that would be very unbelievable, but I could see it being the very first defense is like, I didn't know I couldn't do that. Right. I would say that, well, duh, you can't yeah. do that. You know, but then you turn around and, and bigger political roles, they do do that, right? Yeah. Uh, they absolutely, they are lobbied constantly by lobbyists that it is like their job to to sway the vote, right? Yeah. And that's wrong, but it happens. And it's not illegal. I mean, some things are, but uh, the lobbying isn't illegal uh, in and of itself. So, yeah. So your question was, do I think they undo it? No, because the vote is still the vote, regardless. Yeah. So, okay. Just back to... Go ahead. um, I wanted to say, so I, I finally found something. And it does appear that the the... Uh, associate the Detroit Firefighter Association 344. It does appear that it's a 501c5, which I don't actually know what a c5 is, but so it, it is some sort of not for profit. And I, I finally found that and I wanted to say that. And so there should have been people on that as far as uh, the money that she was taking. Uh, yeah. 
picture Dean Day was taking, and that was uh, to Tammy Williams' mom. And I also found where um, David Carter uh, from, let's see, I can't, I don't know where it was, but uh, he died from a single gunshot wound to the head. Yeah, I actually was, I had pulled that up as well. I realized I had, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I accidentally opened a new window instead of a new tab when I was setting up everything I wanted to pull from. So the window was hidden behind everything. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, a 501c5, by the way, that's a labor organization. So it's, you know, it's a union affiliate or a, or a unionized and so it operates as a not-for-profit and it has to have a board and directors and officers and like all those people, like it's not just honorary. Like you're actually supposed to be reviewing what's happening. Correct. And like It's, it's a pretty serious job actually. Well, it is. And it's not actually that hard. You just have to be paying attention. But like every single person on the board should have known, like for one thing, you're supposed to get minutes and uh, report and financial reports, like however often you're required to have your meeting and everybody there should have known like, well, we didn't decide to give money to the NAACP. Right. Yeah. Because it has to be voted on. No unilateral decisions can be made. And so it's, shocking to me that she's able to get away with it for that long and to me all it says is like these people aren't paying attention and i'm not faulting them for it i'm just saying like if you're going to be in one of those positions like it's actually it's everybody you have to be diligent right yeah. and and actually speak up and say something and i'm just so confused when that happens but at the same time Having sort of worked in those types of roles, I do realize that people that sit on boards often just show up and they're just, they're, you know, warming a the, seat. They're warming a seat. They're having some of the refreshments and they, you know, occasionally will motion to pass something and they say, I, and then they go home and like they have no clue what's really just happened. Right. And that's how people end up in this type of situations because guarantee you, Mrs. Day sat there and realized nobody was paying attention. And the very first thing she took was probably not very much, right? But when she got away with it, I'm sure that fueled it. Yeah. And, you know, it did catch up to her, though, right? Eventually, somebody did pay attention. And they were like, wait, what? Yeah. I So, okay. I found this other thing that I had back here. This sums up, like, what's going on here. This is from grunge.com. It's actually from October 2022. Uh, and it's just, it's sort of a recap of everything we were just sort of talking about, but it's what it says. Uh, and it, it backs you up too. Episode three of the Netflix series, Unsolved Mysteries, volume three. Uh, and there's a link to the trailer. Uh, addresses the 2018 death of 39 year old father, David Carter. Uh, that year, David Carter was uh, found. Uh, David Carter went missing and his body was later found dismembered. Carter's girlfriend at the time, Tamara Tammy Williams, was questioned but released for lack of evidence. Shortly after, Williams also disappeared. She's not been heard from again. Although uh, through the third installment in the Netflix Un uh, Unsolved Mystery series, it's called Body in Bags, authorities hope new clues may emerge in the Carter case leading to Williams' arrest, according to Cosmopolitan. The last time that Carter was seen alive was at his son DJ's late September football game, which Williams also attended. Tensions between the couple were, were reportedly high at the event. 
A few days later, David's coworkers told his family he'd been absent from work for three days. His family checked in on Carter. They found his apartment unlocked and a large bloodstain on his mattress. There was also a bullet hole in Carter's bed. Prior to that discovery, Carter's son DJ was meant to visit his father, but he received a text message from his father's phone that Carter was sick and uh, that he had to reschedule. In need of a few belongings at Carter's residence, DJ had dropped by his dad's house and saw Williams taking out bags of trash. DJ explains in the Unsolved Mysteries episode that when Williams spotted him, she ran towards the door of uh, Carter's apartment, which DJ found locked. Um, you'd have thought since she saw me, she'd have left it unlocked, because, but I had a key. Um, at, at that time, Williams told DJ his father had gone for a walk, and she claimed that uh, when, when she was questioned by police, she claimed that she knew nothing about his whereabouts. And then this is when like his body parts start to be found. As Carter's remains were being identified, Williams was brought in for questioning as a person of interest. At that point, there wasn't uh, sufficient evidence to charge her. She gets released. And then they recover his head. There was a single gunshot wound below his left ear. Uh, again, they credit uh, Cosmo for this. And she reportedly fled Michigan. She was last seen in Ann Arbor on an ATM. There is reportedly uh, a check-in at the Neptune Hotel. And that's verified. And then they believe she traveled to New York from... Chicago by train, but then the, the trail goes cold. Uh, and then they go on to talk about what we just talked about with her mom. I don't know. It's interesting. It's definitely an interesting fugitive case. Um, she's only on the marshals list. I don't see her on the FBI list. So I don't know like much more about like what she's got going on there. And it does not appear she's been found. Um, although the time that we're recording this versus the time we're airing it, I guess we may have to come back on and talk about some of these if some of these people were found. <laughs> well, um, I think that being on Unsolved Mysteries, it could definitely, uh, you know, shed some light on it for sure. I, I don't really know if that show is doing well or not, um, but it. I had um, high hopes there, but I didn't. Um, uh, they were not fulfilled for me. It was not the same, and I never went back to it. I really enjoyed watching like every single episode of unsolved mysteries over and over again like the you know when i was young yeah <laughs> um because it played like we didn't have streaming back then right we had to watch reruns and like i never it never bored me right because would be uh, you know because i don't remember every single case right and when it came on it was always interesting and then sometimes there'd be updates and That'd be really cool. Um, but I, I, I don't feel like, uh, well, you said it was behind a, a gunshot wound behind his left ear. Yeah. He's probably laying face down and, and she, shot, so him. she shot him in his sleep. That's my guess. Uh, is there any, uh, sort of underlying motive that's come out that you've seen? No, they haven't talked about it yet. I assume that's what they're, that's the cards they're playing close. But my assumption is they're having relationship problems and, you know, she wants him, she wants to be done with the relationship and wants the stuff. Could even be financial. That's probably, that, I mean, that's another. Hey, but she's not his wife. No, but that's why she would kill him instead of leave. 
Because if you're married, there's some degree to say that, like, like you know, you can get some of the things in in the divorce. Right. Well, it's always been my opinion, like, especially they were dating for um, six months, which is not very long. Um, but to me, like, that makes it less about being, you know, relationship problems because, like, you literally just leave, right? Yeah. Um, when you're just dating somebody for six months, you there is nothing holding you there. Um, right, right. But if you stole from them or something, you know what I mean? Um, right. It seems like that would have come out though. I mean, it could have, it could just be that she snapped and shot him. It, but if you're shooting somebody in their sleep in that kind of gunshot and then dismembering the body and throwing it out along a highway, I'm thinking that that's not a crime of passion. That's probably premeditated. It depends. I mean, she could have, uh, he could have given her some upsetting news and she that's could true. have stewed on it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then, That's honestly, I would expect her to have shot him in his sleep because he that was the only time he would have been vulnerable enough to have been shot, right? Yeah. Um, you know, when you've got an active, uh, when you're up and about and somebody's coming at you with a gun, like, it would be surprising even if it was the person you lived with, right? Um, yeah, and I haven't... imagine that? That, that would be... Cr- <laughs> I can't... You know, that, this whole thing is a little crazy. I, I have not seen the Unsolved Mysteries episode. I am going to watch it now that it's come up here. Um, and I think... Well, I'm not 100% sure, but I think one of our other episodes might also be being touched on by Unsolved Mysteries. I don't have anything else on this, but if you know where Tammy Williams is, the U.S. Marshals would love to hear from you. And they'll give you a whopping $1,000. That's Crime Stoppers. I wonder if the Marshals are still doing ten grand. Oh. I, you know that, what? That's why I think so, that link is broken. Oh, because they stopped? Well, because they changed it and didn't fix it. Okay, so previously, I have said, like, uh, it is crass to say, like, give me my reward money, right? And that was when, like, we talked about uh, like the when you're looking for something to do with a victim, for example, um, in this case, it would be like, help us find David Carter's killer, which it, that would be if she was unknown, right? Right. Okay. And so in that case, like, I've always thought that from the standpoint of being a good person or, or just being a neutral person, like you should never accept reward money. Right. I mean, I just, I don't see why anybody would do that. Um, but in this type of situation, if you're apprehending somebody, I actually think you could accept it. It would be fine. I, I have all sorts of problems with the idea of rewards anyways, but yeah, if you help find her, I think, I think they should pay it. But this one's a little I, weird because it's going to be for the location of the person. It doesn't say the, like a lot of them have those weird caveats at the bottom. It's like the successful apprehension, conviction, or prosecution, or whatever. This doesn't say that. Well, right, because they're just literally trying to find her. Like you don't have to give them any information to get her prosecuted and uh, everything, because they've got that already. They're just looking for her so they can prosecute her. I don't necessarily think this woman is dangerous um, to the 
community at large. She may be dangerous if she's got a boyfriend that she's living with again. Um, but it's not, it was a very targeted and personal <laughs> attack. Um, I shouldn't laugh at that, but, uh, you know, she, she killed him for some reason. Right. And, yeah. uh, it, you know, if, if it was, it is possible she's no longer alive, but I kind of doubt that she actually seems to have what it would take to run away and, Maybe she, I, I'm, I really think it could have been the motive that she was going to steal his identity. I don't know why that stands out so much to me. It just seems re very weird for somebody who's not married. They had no children together. Uh, I can't even imagine what kind of assets they would have had together after six months. Um, I just don't see what the motive there would be to kill. I do not... I don't, I don't know what it would be. And I was shocked that like, it's not like this whole connection to the order of the Eastern star. I was going to go that route, but I felt like. That's a sorority. Apparently the order of the Eastern star. Mm -hmm. It's an offshoot of the, uh, it's, it's an offshoot of the Masons. It's an appendant body of the Masons. That's for both men and women. I don't think it has anything to do with any of this. I don't think that the. the what, oh, I know. It's like, that would be a fun. The Order of the Stars or whatever, they're not or, helping her. The Order of the Eastern Star. Uh, there's there's the Prince Hall Order of the Eastern Star, which is primarily an African-American community. I was just going to go down that path. But then I realized we have so many of these fugitive episodes to record that that would like, I, I would be, I, that would be terrible, a terrible idea. I, I really don't think that um, those types of establishments help people that are on the run no 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 i'm just saying i haven't seen where that's like okay when we did uh what was his name when we did ray rivera the freemasons came up yeah right was, and was like completely irrelevant to that too yeah so i don't i just I, maybe somebody will find her maybe maybe she'll be found by christmas and we'll have to you know i would say that the the Tattoo is what's probably going to give her away. That's a big, the big roses tattoo on her shoulder. Yeah, yeah. it's it's the most. Uh, it would be the hardest thing to change, right? And it's the most distinguishable feature. Uh, now, it could have been changed by now. Actually, it looks like that might be over something. It could be. I, I saw that picture that looked like it was potentially over something. I like what? What is that? under there that i don't i do not know the answer to that i i looked at that trying to see if i i don't have a good enough picture yeah it i don't know what it is but it does look like it's possibly over something somebody knows that story i'm sure yeah well anything else you got on tammy nope i hope that uh they will find her and hope she gets a fair trial Figure out what's going on there. Um, I do feel sorry for um, the victim's son. Uh, yeah, it sounds like he's an adult, but uh, you know that's got to be tough to to lose. Well, if he's playing football in 2018, it's four years later. He's probably not that old, but that, that would be tough. Well, yeah, I I don't know. I I thought I heard you say that he was like a teenager, but either way. Um, it doesn't really matter. I, I feel bad for him. Yeah. 
and having that like unsolved and you know wondering what happened not to mention like it's just it's really tough when um somebody is dismembered and spread out scattered like that's like the worst way to, to cover up something in my opinion I, I'd like to know what the thought process there is like well maybe they won't notice if I just put little pieces out that's so weird to me I mean I, I, I we've talked about like different types of dismemberment in the past for me it's almost always about the practicality of movement it has to be. Um, it's like a logistical choice to get from point A to point B that, you know, they chose here's to. My, here's my most uh, prevailing question there. Like, you know, when you're standing there going, well, how am I going to dispose of this body? It seems to me like it might creep into your head. Like, well, it might just be easier if I just call the police, right? Uh, then, you know, getting out your sawzall and. <laughs> but then you have to explain so he was laying there, and I shot him in the back of his head because I was mad. Okay, and so, like, this case is a good example of that. Um, so she doesn't call the police. Uh, she didn't refrain from shooting him to begin with. She doesn't call the police. She somehow cuts up his body and then, like, disposes of it in pieces, right? Yep. Uh, they very quickly find it. Uh, she doesn't even put it out in the woods. It's on the highway. Right? Along the so highway, yeah. I assume she was tossing it out as she was driving away. I, I don't know. But it, um, so if you're going to go through that trouble, you know, it, are you thinking to yourself, well, yeah, I'm getting away with this. Now, it just so happens she is getting away with it, right? Um, not she really. She didn't know. Is that your point? What's that? Oh, she, well, she didn't know? Well, because you said if you call the police when you're sitting there, you have to say, look, I shot this guy, right? Um, and so is it just prolonging the inevitable when you're like, oh, let me cut him up and spread him out over the highway because that's going to make it take longer? I mean, they they have said they're pretty sure she did it, right? And they've got whatever they need, I assume. And, you know, they're looking for her. So she did get away with it, right? But... It's not like she's thought to be innocent. I mean, she's just on the run. Right. I don't know. I feel like that was probably not a well thought out situation. However, she has not been caught yet. So maybe it was. Yeah, so there's that. Thank you for joining us. We are sponsored by LabratiCreations.com. You can check them out at LabratiCreations.com and you can still use the code CRIMEXS for a fun pop pet portrait of your own pet. You can also reach us on Twitter, Instagram at TrueCrimeXS or you can give us a call if you know anything about any of the cases that we're talking about at 252-365-5593. You can also reach us at Gmail at truecrimexs at gmail.com. And you can check out our website at www.truecrimexs.com. We'll see you next time.
is True Crime XS Christmas. Sweetly sing. 